0: Maria, welcome to First Up. It is Ratu Tuesday, the first of November. Pinch and a punch for you, Rarity. Aho. Coming up, Jair Bolsonaro has been ousted by Lula da Silva in the Brazilian elections. What does this mean? We cross to our correspondent shortly to find out. What are the implications for New Zealand after the world's richest man, Elon Musk, has gone and purchased social media giant Twitter? We ask expert Paul Spain why is Scaramouche? Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango important today? And a Hamilton shopper speaks to us about the frustrations of being a Ram Raid target for the third time in 18
1: months. The way it's going, the time next year, we won't be here. I can't see our small businesses being around for much longer. Yeah, you know, In another four or five years to be just malls. Yeah, you know, it's, not, it's not worth having a family business. It's just too much.
0: Ata welcome to First Up. Yes, a uh, full dance card for you today. And why not start in the UK? It's our correspondent Ellie J who's with us. It's always a pleasure to say kia to you. How are you?
2: Ata Nathan. I'm good, thank you.
0: How are you? Oh, I'm pretty good, um, but I saw that when I hacked Liz Truss's phone. She said Ellie is good, so let's have a go. Um, we might talk about <laughs> that sometime, but tell us about this. So Suella Braverman is in the news. Why is Suella Braverman in the news?
2: Well, a couple of reasons. I'll go through them now. So she is the current Home Secretary. Um, if you remember, as as far back as a couple of weeks ago, she is the one who resigned under Liz Truss. She kind of almost set off um, set off Liz Truss's uh, what would you call it when she stopped being Prime Minister. This yeah. was the the first step in that, really. And she resigned then, saying she had breached ministerial code by sending um, this classified email from her personal account to another MP and all. Also to a third person by mistake as well. So that was uh, a draft ministerial statement. This was high level proposals for liberalising migration rules is what they said was in that. Uh, and she wrote this whole letter and said, because of my integrity, I'm going to resign. She's now been reinstated. So six days after doing that, she was reinstated by Rishi Sunak back to the position of Home Secretary. So he said she made a mistake. She's apologised. She's rectified it as soon as possible and he's happy with her with her being reinstated. Across the the weekend, a few members of the government, the new government, Michael Gove, he's now levelling up secretary again. He came out, he did a lot of interviews um, describing her as a first-rate, 1st first rank politician is what he called her. So the first reason she's in the news is because of these emails. So people have been saying, MPs, um, cross-party, especially the Labour Party, have been saying, asking why she's been reappointed if she breached this code and asking her to ask answer questions about her personal emails. They want to know if the government are taking cybersecurity safely, uh, asking questions about how they can say they're leading with integrity if she's back. And today she's released a statement saying, actually, it wasn't one, there were six emails sent between September and October from a personal email account. She says they were to do with government business, but they weren't classified. They weren't, uh, it's, it's okay that they were sent almost is what she's saying. Um, and also people are saying because of this statement, she hasn't been totally correct in her resignation letter. She said, as soon as I realised my mistake, I sorted it. And this statement today kind of reveals it wasn't as soon as. It was a few hours afterwards uh, that she that she rectified it and a few hours after that, again, that she she brought it up to government. So calls at the moment for her to resign for a second time. And it's especially coming, I mean, we were joking just then with the story over the weekend about Liz Truss- um, saying her phone was hacked over summer by mm-hmm. alleged Russian agents. But those things together uh, is not really a good look, cyber security wise, for the government, for the Conservative Party at the moment. Um, so, as you were saying, now onto the second reason that she's in the news, and that's to do with migration. So, a couple of strands to this story as well. The UK at the moment has quite a large number of migrants coming across the channel in small boats, nearly 40,000 this year, and one one day last week it was a thousand in a day so the government are being urged to to tackle this as a crisis and people who do come over there there are migrant processing centers um, across the UK and and mostly in Dover and Kent and what's meant to happen here is that when people arrive they arrive at these centers they can legally be held for 24 hours whilst they're they're processed and taken in Um, the news in the past couple of days is saying that some people have been in these centers for over month. There's also one facility, Manston in Kent, which is of particular concern at the moment. It's meant to hold a maximum of uh, 1,600 people. And last night, there were 4,000 people there. That's also to do with this horrific incident last night, where a man drove past another facility um, um, through three firebombs in an attack. So, a number of migrants there had to be evacuated for safety. And it's created this intense crisis point. So, Suella Braverman, again, is going to make a statement in the House of Commons shortly. Lots of people saying that this this is an avoidable situation, that she's ignored advice um, about the the crisis that's happening or didn't act on advice when she should have done. Um, And conditions in these centres are unacceptable. The government are paying for hotel rooms as well um, for migrants when they come in. And so she's being called in the next couple of hours. We'll see her in the House of Commons asking questions about this migrant crisis and also about her personal emails.
0: Oh man, that's pretty amazing. Thank you very much, Suella Braverman. Uh, The in all of the news uh, out of the UK, also, Ty, I don't know if you saw that footage, it's terrible. Uh, just the sewage uh, being pumped into the sea on the beach there in Cornwall, just around there, and I think the locals continuing to swim undeterred. Yeah, Katrina got that one. There, do you like that one? That's pretty good, eh? It's a great kick. Uh, It's um, it's ten and a half past five. Yucky thing uh, to joke about, but there you go. You're listening to First Up here on RNZ National uh, with myself, Nathan and and we've got uh, the team on board this morning. And always keen uh, for your feedback, it's um, 2101 is uh, the good place to text us, or you can email firstup at rnz.co.nz. I thought, what are you, uh, what was the one we were going to talk about? Oh, yeah. Um, Katrina told me something before, which I found interesting. Apparently, some people really don't like Bohemian Rhapsody. Is that true? Yes. Is this true? Is this like, okay, uh, 2101, you can let us know about that. Why? Why don't you? What is it that just really sticks in your craw? Um, but also, uh, yeah, the other thing is too, is interesting. The mayors uh, of various places, where are we? Um, uh, Auckland and Christchurch and Waimakariri. Uh, they've they've now come out against the three waters proposal on Monday. My thing is, is when you have a look, what what is your pushing question off the end of it? Because my one is, I have a look and I go, so who do you want to? Who's going to pay for this? And I guess it's the local ratepayers is right but it, you know, is there a pushing question uh, a pressing question you have about Three Waters that you that you haven't heard or that you just don't understand about it it's okay too because this gets thrown at us and we're all supposed to pretend you know what it is but if you don't just let us know 2101 is there a pressing question you have about it um, well uh, the value of the Australian dollar is continuing to fall against the greenback trading at 64 US cents now some predict that it will slip even further adding to the cost of imports and further fueling inflation so the wavering dollar is bad news for aussie consumers but it's a boon for australian exporters
3: trading in us dollars the abc's john daly reports at a facility in augusta on WA's south coast fresh abalone is getting prepped for high net worth customers in hong kong for those in the export business a weak australian dollar is good for the bottom line
4: it's actually been a bit of a boon a lot of our pro- a lot of our product gets sold in us dollar contracts so, yeah, we're we're, we're receiving
3: um, higher prices when we convert them back to Australian dollars, which is great for our business. That's Rare Foods Australia director Brad Adams. The value of the Australian dollar has fallen about 15% from 76 US cents in early April to 64 cents today. Brad Adams is now hedging his bets and trying to lock in overseas sales for the next 12 months.
4: It's, it's just that we, we don't often see the, the dollar this low and it could go lower um, and that, that would be on the downside for us because we wouldn't be wouldn't be able to get to take advantage of that, but um, we certainly think that it's pretty low right now and and why not um, take advantage of that and, and lock in
3: that future rate? There are a few reasons why the Australian currency is shaky right now. Now, the first relates to the brute strength of the US dollar with the US Federal Reserve aggressively lifting interest rates. EY economist Sherelle Murphy says the sharp interest rate hikes are making it an attractive
2: currency to have. Um, and that makes returns on assets in that country greater. And so people need to buy US dollars to go into those assets. So it's it's definitely the leader globally at this point in time. What's happening with the Aussie is, is really a reflection of that.
3: The other element is this increasing likelihood of a global recession. Now Australia is of course a net exporter, particularly in energy, minerals and agricultural goods. So there's a lot to lose in a global economic slowdown.
2: Because the global economy is under a lot of pressure at the moment, that is one of the factors that is causing a little bit of negative sentiment towards the Aussie.
3: Now, is the current exchange rate putting adding to inflationary pressure here in Australia?
2: Yes, it does tend to cause inflation. And it's most important against the US dollar because that's the currency that most of our imports are invoiced in. So that's the one that matters the most.
3: So bad news for consumers of anything not made in Australia, but good news for Aussie exports for now. Diane Tipping is Chair of the Export Council of Australia and she says those gloomy predictions of recession have exporters worried.
5: Well, like anyone, they're concerned. There's an underlining fear about where the world is heading. Um, the uh, the Russia Ukraine crisis is is very dramatic. The issues um, around you know geopolitical issues that that we seem to find ourselves in at the moment. None of these are are, are, are going backwards. <laughs> they seem to be still melting around in a pot,
2: and, and we don't know what's going to happen with any of those things.
3: Predictions on just where the Aussie dollar heads from here are mixed. Despite a recent small uptick in value, Comsec senior economist Craig James forecasts the Australian dollar to continue to lose value against the greenback, reaching a low point early next year.
5: So what we're expecting over time is the Aussie dollar could fall to as low as 59 cents in March of of next year uh, before picking up after that. So going forward and then rising through 2023 and perhaps get to 67 cents by the end of December.
3: Though Craig Jones says any sign of easing inflation in the US could change those calculations. While WAC food exporter Brad Adams is enjoying the extra cash right now, he knows a global downturn will cost him dearly.
4: Yeah, let's hope, that, hope there isn't a global meltdown coming because that'll be no good for anyone.
0: That's Western Australia abalone exporter Brad Adams, ending that report by the ABC's John Daly. And you're thinking, what time is it? And I'm telling you, it is 16 minutes past five because I'm being very exact. And you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National. Well, the world's richest man, Elon Musk, is now in charge of social media giant Twitter. After the $77 billion takeover, that's New Zealand dollars, was confirmed over the weekend, the Tesla and SpaceX boss unceremoniously went and sacked the platform Top executives. I asked the host of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and futurist at Guerrilla Technology, Paul Spain, if Twitter is now just going to become an even bigger hate filled cesspit of disinformation.
6: Look, you know, I think when we look at any sort of social media platform, it tends to be a reflection of people and, and what they do. And sometimes the worst of what people say and do because of the anonymity that being online brings and even just that distance from reality. So, so often things are said on these sorts of platforms that you wouldn't say face-to-face to someone. So I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to be uh, something that we see a, a dramatic change to because it, it seems to be a reflection of of social media in general to some degree.
0: Well, we'll get into where that goes pretty soon and if the New Zealand government can do anything about that speech. But I know that part of the concern with the takeover is that it's not just Elon himself who even despite being the first or second richest person in the world, he's still propped up by some cash from Qatar and Saudi Arabia, why did they get involved?
6: my understanding is that Saudi Arabia's kingdom holding company have actually previously been shareholders so they're not new shareholders through through this acquisition they've just held on to their existing holdings that they had while the company was publicly listed so that's basically just a continuation i guess you know of the status quo and in terms of qatar's sovereign wealth fund their involvement just seems to be that Musk needed extra funds, and and he's gone out to a few folks. Also, Larry Ellison of Oracle and Sale GP. So yeah, he, he's got a few backers, and I guess they're all hoping for some sort of return. And uh, he's hoping that uh, puts a bit less pressure on his own finances.
0: The dude launched a rocket into space in a vanity project with a mannequin with a, a car in it, a convertible. So if he's having to borrow money off people. For the sale, did he spend well over actually what what would have been a sensible price?
6: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think there is a lot of feeling that he spent too much money, and I think he's even even said that himself, so uh, quite possibly so. But the fact that he's got other investors involved suggests he's been able to convince some others that this is a good investment and uh, he's going to make Twitter more valuable uh, in the years going forward. But that's his
0: superpower as a billionaire, I think. His is convincing people that his next idea is so great that everyone should get involved in it more. So I think that's what stands him out from the other massively rich folks around. But, you know, one of the things, too, is that just recently he's been accused of spouting Russian propaganda in relation to Ukraine. So do you think this is a money making venture or is this purely an ideological one?
6: Well, it's a little bit hard to tell with with Elon. He does spout off all sorts of things. Generally, he tends to be very successful, though, on the business front and comes out on top. So I think there's probably an element of both, but exactly what he's thinking, I'm not sure that anyone uh, really knows.
0: One of the things that you need to do, I think, when you buy a business or you're starting any form of entertainment, you've got to have a great lead singer or a great product. I still feel that Donald Trump, whether you loved him or not, he was the best lead singer and best advert for Twitter in its history because journalists could not help themselves and go, can you believe what this man said on Twitter? So am am I right in thinking that surely Elon Musk gives him his Twitter account back and hopes that the same sort of magic and attention works?
6: It does seem likely. The the way that Elon's sort of been speaking about how he feels moderation should happen on Twitter, an approach that doesn't ban people as much permanently as it does maybe blocks them from the platform for a period of time. So it seems quite likely you look at the probably the the business aspects of it and keeping the platform interesting and previous comments yeah I think probably we will see Donald Trump back on there at some stage but he said that he's going to leave this stuff to a content moderation council and at this stage they're not going to reinstate any accounts or, or make major content decisions until that council's uh, convened love a council
0: tell me this if it does become (laughs) a bit more of a place where hate speech and disinformation comes to live because anyone that's used twitter has seen the bit where some name with an egg for a picture and a whole lot of numbers after it comes in and becomes very quite aggressive what power does the new zealand government have to combat things like that, that safe space being breached
6: Yeah, look, I mean, we have to look to existing legislation. So, you know, if individual people say certain things, maybe it's an incitement of, of violence or it's defamation, there tends to be legislation in place for those sorts of things that targets the individual. If those sorts of things happen, then they can draw on existing legislation to try and address that. But at this stage, we don't have much in the way of broader legislation to necessarily sort of block the whole platform as such it tends to be more focused on what individuals say it's futurist at
0: guerrilla technology Paul Spain <laughs> 22 past five. I'm Nathan Arariri here at First Up on RNZ National. So coming up, uh, we'll hear from LDR journalist Steve Forbes. He's been uh, really investigating quite a bunch of concerns into the state of Middlemore Hospital. And also coming up, Nicola Willis uh, tells us why she's opposed to the new Fair Payment Agreement legislation. Local Democracy reporting time now, and this morning we're in South Auckland with some really interesting stories here from Steve Forbes, who's been extremely busy uh, doing important stories on Middlemore Hospital. So I started by asking about a damning report following the death of a patient in June. The internal inquiry report
4: came back on October the 17th, and the report was pretty damning. It criticised Middlemore Hospital's emergency department for being unsafe for patients and staff. The five-page report described the ED as dysfunctional, overcrowded, and unsafe. It said only the exceptional hard work and dedication of the staff had prevented more incidents. It said Middlemore's ED was overcrowded and operating well over accepted capacity. And it said it was an unsafe environment for both patients and staff. And it said it wasn't sustainable.
0: Oh, Boy, that's that. That's pretty bleak. I mean, one of the things yeah. you can do, of course, is is g- get to the staff on the ground. I know that you you've spoken with a frontline healthcare worker at the hospital. So, wh- yeah. what are they making of of so uh, Tefatu Water that took over yeah. from the district health boards? Um, yeah. Th- that's, but they say that it's failed to act. What, what did they say? Like, what are they? Failing well, to so, so, so I spoke to a, a healthcare worker from
4: the ED a day after the release of the report, and she said to me that the staff were continuing to work under extreme conditions and Te had failed to address their long-standing concerns. She said they were expected to continue doing what they were doing, picking up extra shifts, up the slack, and coping with the stress of an overcrowded emergency department and obviously the ongoing problems of staff shortages. She spoke to me on the condition of anonymity, but she said to me there were 191 people in the emergency department a day after the release of the damning report. Mm. In a statement, Te Whāpāwāra Chief Executive Margie Apa acknowledged the concerns raised by Middlemore Hospital's ED staff. She said the pressures on the ground were being addressed by focusing on hospital flows uh, prioritising urgent care and increasing regional coordination to deliver services, but she failed to respond to a number of questions I had about how many doctors and nurses it needed to address staffing shortages mm. in the emergency department, what time frame it was working to in a bid to recruit them, and she also didn't respond to questions around what it was doing to ensure the of patients and staff in the unit.
0: and And then obviously, you think about workers, and you think of, like you said, the safety of it there, there's what there's been calls for a worksafe investigation into into the Middlemore ed.
4: Yeah, that was uh, Dr. Shane Reddy from the National Park said uh, Worksafe should investigate the emergency department as a result of the serious concerns raised in that report. He said workforce shortages in emergency departments like Middlemores putting an untenable workloads for the staff leading to increased burnout and the resignation of doctors and nurses. Uh, Retty said all of these health and safety issues, or well, they're all, you know, health and safety issues that Te and WorkSafe need to address. He thought WorkSafe would be the agency to carry out, a, out an investigation. A Work, WorkSafe spokesperson spoke to, said it, it wasn't currently investigating Middlemore's ED. However, they said they were aware of the, the pressures the health system was facing and, and they said they were working closely with Tefatora and healthcare unions to understand the challenges at a system level, but that that did not involve any action in relation to specific events or locations. So, so like they were trying to sidestep.
0: Yeah. So, so you've sidestep, you, you've yeah. spoken with staff. You, you've heard there yep. from the opposition saying, "What about a work yep. safe investigation?" So, yep. what has the government response been?
4: So Shane Reedy said to me on Friday last week that he said Andrew Little needed to front up and answer questions about the staff safety issue. I did contact Andrew Little's office and his his staff refused to answer questions about safety at the hospital on Thursday last week and his office said it was an issue best addressed by the Minister of Workplace Relations and Safety, Michael Wood. So uh, Reedy said to me, Andrew Little can't keep trying to duck the tough questions about the country's health system, and he said the Ministry of Health needs to accept responsibility for the serious safety issues outlined in that report. Michael Wood did respond, and he said to me, calls for WorkSafe to investigate were an operational matter for the Crown Agency. But he said any concerns about staff workplace safety did need to be looked at. He said it's important all New Zealanders feel safe at work, and any reports regarding staff safety were a concern to him he said decisions to investigate rightly an operational matter for WorkSafe however he he said like the previous statement I'd had was that WorkSafe was working with Tafatua and the unions but there doesn't seem to be any commitment actual investigation into Middlemore Hospital at this stage which sounds daft to me because if there was any other workplace obviously with health and safety concerns highlighted in a report like that I can't see them just looking the
0: other way. Yeah LDR's Steve Forbes doing the great work there out of South Auckland.
7: like sands through the hourglass so are the days of our lives 1st of
0: November think two months of this year left we've got there we've got there let's see see what's big on this day happy 50th birthday Tony Collette so many good roles Muriel's wedding yeah Muriel's wedding Six cents, many other things there as well. Lyle Lovett, country singer, turned 65 years old today, and a man whose name I can't say without hearing his accent in my head, Gary Player and you just heard that too Gary Player is 87 years old today and still hitting it off the long tees here we go on this day in 1512 Michelangelo unveiled his masterpiece in the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel he'd begun work in 1508 that's four years hell of an invoice there that he he filed good on you on this day in 1895 sports one movies nil the first paid screening of, uh, of a film was a boxing fight between young Griffo and Charles Barnett it was shown in a shop in New York And it was a paying audience, and it was the first paying audience for a film of any sort. Um, It didn't qualify as a movie though, because it was actual footage. So the first paid movie screening took place about a month later. Stay tuned about in about a month's time to hear that. This day in 1952, the first hydrogen bomb explosion took place. The Americans did it, not in America. Um, in the Marshall Islands so thanks for that guys. This day in 1959 the first ice hockey goalie to wear a mask before that they'd just been getting hit in the face with pucks for about 50 years before that. On this day in 1969 Abbey Road uh, went to number one in the US, stayed there for 11 weeks and on this day in 1975 Bohemian Rhapsody was released as the lead single of A Night at the Opera. First up reviewers Jono says Bohemian Rhapsody surely the most hideous piece of music ever written another first up reviewer says Bohemian Rhapsody load of pretentious is Todge and uh, on this day 1997 Titanic directed by James Cameron made its debut at the Tokyo International Film Festival Academy Award picture uh, what did it win 19 of those I think it won so many so there you go and uh, bought him a house in Wairarapa which is pretty cool news and that is what went down on this day of our life we call the 1st of November
6: Trying to say, you're trying to say, let's get down to business. It's business time. It's business.
0: And he's Giles Beckford, right there, ora, Sir. How are you? I'm
7: um, well, thank you, Nathan. Lauren, to you. Okay, let's talk about hybrid working. What's going oh, on? With hybrid us? working. This is still, uh, it's still an issue, um, and everybody keeps looking at it, uh, studying it closely. Cisco, the technology company, is the latest one to do a deep dive into hybrid work habits, uh, whether people have been happy, uh, whether they're more productive, uh, and on the basis of. Their study, they're saying more than 80% of uh, local workers saying the ability to work from anywhere, not just from home, but from anywhere, it certainly made them happier. About two thirds say that they felt that their productivity has improved. Uh, four out of five are saying that they've saved money. Somebody's done a calculation and suggested it's an average of $13,000 a year. That's expensive to get uh, in and out of work. Well, exactly. It's The, the big saving is in commuting. Uh, once again, uh, about two-thirds are suggesting that the quality of work has improved. Um, and only a quarter say that the company actually has its act together in terms of being able to cope with, organise and administer hybrid working. Hmm. And let's just say it's basically working from home, but hybrid working, working from anywhere. So it seems the workers are prepared, but the companies are less so. Uh, They think just throwing a laptop at you um, and saying, there you go, and here's $10 for your broadband and a mobile as well. Um, and and that's about it. Um, in my experience, that's most definitely not it, uh, and it would seem that companies have got a bit of work to do to catch up on that one. Interestingly, also from this uh, look from Cisco, they're suggesting that, micromanaging uh, has increased so there's a, always had that feel that somebody's looking over their shoulder checking up to see whether they've done the report oh or that's a good point it's the, it's the
0: office micromanager that misses uh, this mostly isn't it oh well I would think so yeah. I
7: mean I mean if everybody's in the office, then at least they can walk the floor and cast an eye. But uh, otherwise, if they're working from home, then the micromanager starts to get a little bit worried about, are oh, well, they oh, do. Not, not quite sure about whether that's going has been done. I'm going to need you to get that done now, yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I, I think about a year ago, we were talking um, about a similar sort of issue. Uh, and I said uh, I'd read somewhere that uh, in some laptops or some companies, they'd put a a tracker Mm. into the laptops or into the programs to actually assess and to keep track of what people were doing. Um, And you've got to say... Yeah, you know, where's the trust element in that? But exactly, yeah. One other actually, sorry, Giles, we're, uh,
0: we're no, we don't have time for that. We're gonna I'm gonna have to look at it on the tracker. But the exciting news is, everybody, you can hear that one other thing when you listen to Giles on Morning Report this morning at to two seven. So Brazil has turned its back on right wing populist leader Jair Bolsonaro uh, with the election of former leader Lula. They're calling him Lula da Silva as the as clo- the closest presidential contest in the nation's history. Uh, in sorry, but Griffith, Griffith University politics professor Duncan Macdonald, who says far right populism remains one of the main political phenomena of this century, the ABC's David Lipson spoke to him. Professor Macdonald,
8: what does the Brazil election tell us about the strength of populist politics in that country?
9: Well, I think what it shows is, is that. There's still a huge market for far-right populism. You know, if you consider the performance of Bolsonaro during, during his four years in power, which included the Covid crisis, which included Brazil being particularly affected by that, and Bolsonaro being utterly incapable of dealing with it. Uh, and the fact is that he's come out of the elections very, very nearly having won them. Lula's won with 50.9% of the vote, which is way below what polls initially a couple of months ago, were predicting. So what it says to me is that the far-right populists in Brazil are resilient and, and that they're here to stay.
8: Right, so even though he, he lost the election, Bolsonaro, the fact it was so close tells you that these forces are strong. So what do you think we can expect from a defeated Bolsonaro and his supporters going forward?
9: Well, that, that's the key question right now, actually, because... The main issue right now is, are they going to accept the result? Are they going to look at the Donald Trump playbook and and reject the result and say that there was fraud and say that their supporters were were impeded and that there was problems in the counting. Well, that's he did cast be,
8: doubt on it in the campaign, yeah, didn't he, on electronic absolutely. voting uh, without any evidence, I must say.
9: Sure. I, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's very much the Donald Trump-US Republican playbook, isn't it? You know, it's you're already questioning the validity of the result. Uh, even, you know, before it's happened and you're anticipating a challenge to it. So that's what I think we have to look out for in the next few days. Are Bolsonaro and his supporters actually committed to respecting the democratic outcome here?
8: Yeah, and his silence uh, so far is, is quite deafening in terms yeah. of uh, a lack of conceding defeat so so look in in brazil the result was extremely close but the outcome uh, for for the nation will be wildly different because it's switching from a hard right populist to a former union leader who's said that he's going to tax the rich uh, p- possibly redistribute money to the poor uh, why do you think leaders in brazil but really around the world are finding it so hard to stake out the middle ground
9: well there's there's been a polarisation of politics in many countries, not all of them, but, but in a lot of them. And the US is a good example of that. And, and, and Brazil Brazil is clearly another. Also, let's not forget, Lula's years in power in, in the last decade were actually pretty successful. And Brazil had a lot of economic and social progress then. So beyond the hard left rhetoric, there is actually a, a history of, of economic prosperity with Lula.
8: So the UK has left Boris Johnson, Liz Truss, Jeremy Corbyn behind. Brazil has voted out Bolsonaro. But you don't see all of this as a sign that populism around the world is waning in any way, do you? Why not?
9: No, absolutely not. Because I think we need to, let's look at it in the context of some of the elections that we've seen so far this year, right? So just last month in Sweden, you know, the paradise of social democracy, we've seen the Sweden Democrats, a party with a really far-right past um, become the second largest party in that country. It's a party that used to be ostracised by the mainstream centre-right, and now it's been accepted by them, and it's going to prop up those other parties and governments. So in Sweden, we've seen a success for the far-right. In Italy, we've seen the first far-right majority government since the end of the Second World War. Let's remember back to April in France. Marine Le Pen took almost 42% of the vote against Emmanuel Macron. The far-right generally is increasing in Western Europe, in North America, in South America and further afield. Think about Modi in India, for example, who got re-elected in 2019 with a better majority than in 2014. So this may be a slight hiccup on the road, but I I really think that the far right populism remains one of the key political phenomena of of this century.
0: Griffiths University politics professor Duncan McDonnell. It is twenty-two six between now and six here at uh, First Up on RNZ National. You're going to hear from a Hamilton shop owner who is just at his wits end about being ram raided and National's um, policy, well, their stance on the fair pay agreement. The professionals of the RNZ Ship of the Morning Report team Corin Jan is there But it's Marnie Dunlop who I'm speaking to right now To preview the show Kia ora, how are you?
10: Morning, I'm, I'm good, how are you? I'm good,
0: this is like an amuse-bouche I've been watching those cooking shows Where you come around with a little sampler And the judges go, mmm So what have you got there? What are yeah. you doing on the show today?
10: <laughs> um, you know, you've made me hungry <laughs> Hey, <laughs>
0: It's the worst time for it, eh?
10: I know I think the earlier you get up the hungrier you get. Anyway, mm. hey, no we we're, we're going big on 3 Waters this morning. So we'll have quite a number of voices. We'll be going to national uh to one of the mayors who's uh been who's supporting this alternative alternative uh pr- proposal for 3 Waters, Dan Gordon the Waiamakati Mayor, and as well as talking to um, having a bit of a panel, speaking to Wellington's new mayor Tory Farano and Craig Little as well. So Tory Farano is in support of the of Three Waters, uh, and Craig Little who is not. So they will come head to head after eight. So I
0: just t- always t- wonder with what, what these though, with it is like who ends up paying for it? Like and and just as a person, let's get out of the politicians. They're going to have their arguments as. Joe normal around does my sewer still smell like sewer the day after it rains, or you know what I mean? I, I think that's it. Like the residents of Bromley, they want to know that they just don't have to live with that smell anymore. So I yeah. think that's that's the part here.
10: I think once yeah, I think that is a lot to if it's so for Dan Gordon who we'll be talking to, who is one of the mayors who are want, who who are wanting to push through this alternative proposal, is asking that around Will it mean rates increase? Will it cost more to borrow from this uh, infrastructure fund? Will that mean it will cost more to taxpayers? Will it fix my drinking water? Will it mm. fix the drainage in Wellington, which is horrendous, uh, as, as as people who live here will know? Yeah. And, yeah, so hopefully we can get some answers to all of those questions okay. and around co-governance as well, you know, that this this proposal... or is encouraging yeah. councils to determine their own co-governance structures. I'm but being we... given the,
0: the wind-up signal because I spoke sorry. over you, and I'm very sorry, Marnie, that's all my fault. I'm very sorry. But <laughs> thank you. A lot, lot of that coming up is very interesting there. I'm, I'm having a shocker today, folks, but I'll try and pull it back here. A Hamilton shop owner is at its wits' ends. Uh, he's at his wits' ends after being rammed raided for the third time in 18 months on the weekend. Matt Royal owns Safari Sport on Victoria Street. be he was notified of a break-in at 3am on Saturday, so he told me what happened.
1: Oh, this one, it was just obviously just the normal, which has been happening quite a bit lately. Um, uh, luckily, this time they, they didn't actually get into the building, but obviously the usual probably stolen car, um, pulls up, um, reversed, yeah, just reversed and pretty much pulled up, reversed in the building, realised they couldn't get in and just took off straight away. Um, we're a little bit different than the other ones. The other ones are probably that we've had, yeah, obviously we've got cameras and that so we can see... Sort of goes on in that as well. Um, okay. This one doesn't look like it was that well planned. There was actually a guy that came through about probably oh, eight ten minutes before it tried to um, uh, walk past the building. Uh, tried to kick our side door and get in through there. Right. Um, obviously couldn't get through there, so uh, he's gone around through the back of the building. So obviously they know the area quite well. And then then the cars come down. Obviously, um About eight minutes later, down. Through.
0: You know, it's sad there that you you've said as you're talking to me about this. You're talking. You say phrases so easily, like the other times. Yeah. Which is well, horrible it's, it's, it's,
1: to hear. Like, how many times has this happened? Yeah, so we've we've been uh, ram raided here three times. Uh, the last big one was um, was just over a year ago. Um, I think it was. Oh, geez, it was around. around about around the time the All Blacks played Fiji. I know that because our shop was closed. We had all the Fiji gear in here, with the rugby. And yeah. No one, no Yeah, so we were closed up for six weeks. Uh, and that that one probably hurt us the most because we're we're a small family business, and yeah, we. You know, so, you know, so, so you know seven days a week it's uh, makes it pretty hard so I, I feel for those dairy owners and that as well but you know it, it's something that's been going on for a few years um it's not just something that's new obviously with the rain raids up and um, up in Auckland and that has um, obviously hit the news and that but um really you know even that last one we had the big, that was that was pretty major and that yeah. didn't really get too much um, publicity in that as well like, like obviously this one these guys ringing me up but um, I had reporters here in the morning I, I to be honest, I didn't really want to no. do any interviews because, um, I'm yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. We, as I said, I'd rather just stay in the background. But I mean, I, I suppose you know, we can let people know that you know, us retailers. I, I mean, especially us individual businesses, and that, yeah. I mean, um, are really hurting. You know, obviously with COVID, that hurt us to an extent, and um, yeah, obviously the ram raids. Um, um, and I don't think it's a thing because of COVID. I just think the laws um have just got too weak, and um, it's too easy for them to get off. They know that there's there's no consequence for it as well. They don't realise that. Yeah, they actually hurting in a family business and a family as
0: well. That's yeah. you know. So, so that's I mean, yeah, the, 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 you, you feel like there's laws where they think oh, I can get away with this, or I'm under an age and I don't get there as well. Yeah. Do you I mean do other? Is there other parts, or do you think it's just that? bit where, unfortunately, this is what's the you know is current. Teenage fun when you're being a bit of a rebel rouser at that age, but they don't realise yeah. just how much it's hurting your businesses. Or do you think they're being sent out to water here?
1: Oh, yeah, you know, they're being sent out to water, of course. Yeah, you know the young kids. I mean, um, you know, a lot of them, and a lot of them probably don't. They don't realise the effect that they actually have, I and mean, they think it's just, oh, you know, it's adrenaline buzz for them. You know, they. um yeah, yeah. So a lot of the ones you see them, they've recorded it and stuff. You know, um, but you know, I, you know, go back to that uh, the, the mall the other week. You know. Um, i just saw the video of that and just how brazen they are these days like they don't they don't they don't care about people being around they'll do it in the broad daylight this you know like they're not in a hurry to get out they know if they get caught it's just not not much consequence people jumping up and down saying things need to be done but they should have been done a while ago um yeah like you know, to be honest, it's a bit late a lot of, for a lot of us businesses you know it's got to the stage now where family business um and retail you know who wants to really do it so i mean if we wanted to get out, wanted to sell. I'd want to buy it. Um, it's like the dairy owners. You know, you got to feel feel for those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're out there trying to do the do the do a service to the public and that. And um, you know, uh, and, and they're getting hammered. You know, um, it's just wrong. It's, sad, it's just but, yeah. So
0: th- just just for those of us that don't run businesses, and they can, can you have you got yeah. an idea of like for example dollars, like how much this might have cost you, and do, do you yeah. think you can continue to run your business?
1: well we we still haven't recovered from that yeah you know, that last big grandmother i talked about a year ago we still haven't re- recovered from that really it's wow. um that really hurt us that that, that bad. um you know we we've just struggled on since then but this one here i mean they didn't get in they didn't they didn't take anything but it's not the cost of the goods they take it's the damage they do and uh hmm. you know and it's and it's it's, it's after, the afterwards so like you know I've, you know, I've recently had back surgery and that, so I, I you know, I'm in a bit of pain at night anyway. But I, yeah, you know, I'm up at, at you know, when I am up, I'm I'm checking our cameras, um, you know, so it, it's something that it just doesn't go away. I mean, yeah. we we just don't go home and forget about it. Um, it's there, you know, it's a part, you know, and think, geez, we're going to get ram-rated tonight. I knew this one was going to happen. Um, there's just been too many lately for it not to for us not to get hit. Even though we haven't got um a lot of stuff that they're probably after lot like, used to have a lot of a lot of Nike and champion so we we've, we've got out of those brands because of that wow. um, we've still got a little bit of Nike here so really they they would have probably you know they might have been after the till you know, and and our till is i mean we don't we don't hold it here anymore from the last one so yeah. they're not going to get anything there so they might just get a few bits and pieces hmm. yeah well so so they so even though they didn't get any goods it's still going to cost us. You yeah, know, I'll see Well, front of our shops all boarded up. Lucky we can actually get access to the side of it last and we couldn't, and uh, so we were pretty much closed up for six weeks last
0: time. Well, if anyone in the first up audience is is needing anything sporty, Safari Sport there on Victoria Street in Hamilton, yeah. we we can tr- please try and help Matt uh, today. You, you've heard what it does there, and it's and it's horrible too, Matt. Because I mean, a business can make you sit bolt upright at two in the morning anyway, right? When you're wondering yeah, about yeah, accounts or a, orders or whatever. Yeah, but now you now you've yeah. got this too. I mean, when when do you relax? Do you have any relaxation well, in your brain? You've had it. What?
1: We, we, back? we don't. I don't think. I don't think people realize. They think that we make a lot of. But we don't make a lot of money. You know, it's um, uh, it's you know, we, we make a we make a living to you know to, to support our kids and stuff like that. And 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 it, and it hurts. And and I and I can't. As I said, oh, I'm just. We're just waiting for the next one. It's just uh, the next one. This one, if the hat, this doesn't, the next one might get us. You know. The way it's going the time next year we won't be here, but as a retailer and looking at the other retailers and uh and that I can't see our small businesses being around for much longer. yeah you, know, you' just have in, in another four or five years to be just malls there won't be you know it's not it's not worth having a family business especially with the the costs and um and and especially what's going on I mean yeah you know, we just struggle through year to year and then something like this happens um especially when it happens three times within a year you know a year and a half span. Um, it's just it's just too much.
0: That is uh, Matt Royal there. Well, look, the National Party is vowing to repeal the government's fair pay agreement legislation, which enables workers to bargain collectively across entire sectors. So I asked Nationals Deputy Leader Nicola Willis why she's so opposed to it.
5: Well, a couple of things. The first is these are compulsory agreements. So even if you as an employee or as an employer don't want to be part of this agreement you can be forced into these negotiations if as few as 10 percent of the workers in a particular sector or occupation push you to the negotiating table. So we think that's a bit of a problem because lots of people have a good relationship with their boss or the business they work with and they're happy with their contract and negotiating with them directly. Well, under this arrangement, they won't have that choice. And the second thing is by imposing mandatory conditions across the sector, nationwide uh, it takes away some of the flexibility that has characterized um, employment relationships for lots of people and we see that as a step backwards
0: so so it's the, it's more Is it like the compulsory, does it feel like compulsory unionism, really, that that's what you don't like about
5: it? Well, what it does create is compulsory mandated agreements for people who may not uh, wish to be part of them. Uh, And it does give the unions um, a much stronger role than some people may want them to have because these are people who haven't joined the union, aren't part of the union, but they'll find the union is negotiating their contract.
0: I can see that there, some of them, but don't you think that people who do the same job deserve pay parity?
5: Well, I think that doing a job, for example, in Gore can be quite different from doing a job uh, in the middle of Auckland. I think that the conditions for um, one worker in one business may vary considerably from region to region, employer to employer, particular circumstance to particular circumstance, and Actually, as I look at the modern world, things are getting more flexible in terms of working hours. Um, people being able to work around their kids, uh, their kids' requirements, being able to work from home, yeah. being able to do things in ways that are bespoke to them as an individual and their family circumstances. So. I worry that really rigid, one-size-fits-all contracts take us in the opposite direction uh, from where ultimately we want employee and employer relationships to go.
0: A lot of people, and I know what you're saying there about being able to stand up for your own stuff, but so many people, and yet you know this, like a huge part of the population feel really uncomfortable going into any sort of contract negotiation, and, and bosses know that, and it's worked in their favour for a very long time. I'm just thinking that, you know, some people, shouldn't you shouldn't be paid less just because you're not comfortable negotiating. Negotiating, should you?
5: Well, that's why I do support strong minimum requirements in law. You know, that's why we have a minimum wage requirement. That's why we have protections around working conditions, because I do think there are some things that shouldn't be negotiated away and that should exist as protections in law. Mm. Um, and and we do have those in New Zealand, and national supports those things.
0: Yeah, and, and at the same time, employers say they're really struggling to attract staff across many industries in New Zealand. Some of them having to to offer sweeteners. You know, the the leverage, I guess, when we look at leverage in negotiations, it's been more on the um, um, you know people hunting for jobs side than it has been for ages. So so tell us, how tough is it for businesses right now?
5: Oh, look, it's super tough. Wherever I go around the country, when I say to businesses, well, how are things going? I'm surprised on the upside, they'll often say, look, we've got the orders coming in, we've got people offshore wanting to order what we're selling. The problem is We don't have the workers to fulfil those orders. And so it is the number one reason that employers cite at the moment as their reason for not growing is a lack of workers. And that's causing major problems. Of course, it's not just causing problems for business. It's Mm. causing problems for essential public services. You know, our hospitals are creaking because of the shortage of nurses of doctors, of health assistants. So these problems are very widespread and they're holding New Zealand back right now.
0: So just to clarify a point, when when they say there's not enough workers, is it is it just not the population or is it not enough workers that will say yes to that deal? <laughs>
5: Well, they can't find people to fill the positions that they advertise right. for. So not, and not they enough tell... human beings. <laughs> well, they, sometimes they say to me they're tearing their hair out because they know that in your area there are people who are on a job seeker benefit who notionally should be available to work but either don't turn up for the interview or if they do, then aren't interested in the role. So uh, I think it's a combination of fewer people available for work and those who are on, are on the job seeker benefit, not always being interested in the jobs that are going. Uh, we've also been
0: looking into the cost of airfares this week, um, which was a story that we did, and it went quite big on it there. Some people are paying more than double for domestic and international flights. Is Air New Zealand charging too much?
5: Well, look, I really feel for families who find themselves, for whatever reason, having to get flights at the last minute to get to the other place of the country, whether for family sickness, bereavement, whatever the issue is, because flights are a lot more expensive at the moment. Mm. And I think we all kind of get what's driving that. It's this post-COVID thing where there have been fewer airplanes available, the price of fuel's gone up, and uh Air New Zealand's facing the same worker shortages as a number of other employers. So, we can understand the drivers for it, but it doesn't make it any easier for people when they go to pay no. for those tickets.
0: And I think it's what, too, is like you look around and New Zealanders are like, wait, don't we own some of that? Like, isn't some of that ours, like like the New Zealand public? We bought that, didn't we? We're a shareholder, aren't we?
5: Well, that that is correct. Um, but, of course, I think we all, all want to make sure that that business is being run in a way that is sustainable and that can be continued Uh, into the future, because I don't think we also want a situation where New Zealand taxpayers are subsidising some people to fly cheaply around the country.
0: Yeah, let's have a look at this, uh, another thing here. $61 million to lift bus driver wages, which they'll be very happy about. And at the same time, Auckland Transport is cancelling a bunch of bus services. So what do you make of the state of our public transport services around the country?
5: Look, since I came into politics, this has been one of the big frustrations. I live in Wellington, where we have historically had an amazing bus service. But despite all the talk about light rail and building trams to Island Bay, Uh, what we've actually seen is cancellations of our bus services every day and every week, and it's put people off catching the bus. More Mm. people catch an Uber or they drive because they can't rely on the bus. And to me, the most practical thing we can do to decarbonise transport and make it easier for people to take public service, uh, public buses, is to make sure that they're frequent and reliable. So this is something that uh, I would like to see addressed, but... You know, let's be honest, there's a massive shortage of drivers. And um, I, I, you know, I think that spending money on this is certainly not the worst thing Labor's ever spent money on. Uh, But let's see whether it delivers the drivers that we need to see.
0: And I I heard a a door opening before, and I thought it was the start of the monster mash, but it might be the return of Winston Peters. The latest Horizon (laughs) poll has Labor edging national and and needs being able to govern without New Zealand first, apparently. That's what they say. Is it time to invite Winston for a cuppa?
5: Look, um, I I don't know. That that poll seemed out of whack with uh, some of the more recent public polls. The reality, though, of course, is polls will bounce around between now and the election day, and ultimately voters will decide which parties get over 5% and are therefore in a position to um, help form a government. So uh, I think there's a bit of water to go under the bridge until those discussions are had.
0: Nicola Willis, there, deputy leader of the National Party. Thank you very much uh, for your time this morning, and we have run out of time today. But uh, just a little bit of uh, a song that came out in 1975 and isn't universally loved. Interesting. Morning, reporters. Next, with Marnie and Corinne from all of us here at First Hub. Have yourselves a wonderful day. We'll be back in your ears. Ah, poor, poor.